Welcome to the Primal Endurance Podcast. Slow down and enjoy the show, where we rap, literally, about everything you need to know. I'm your host, Brad Kearns. Are you ready? Let's go. Andre Obradovich with a fine internet connection, waving at each other on video all the way over in Aussie land. How you doing, Dr. Dre? Good morning. I say good afternoon here. Oh, good afternoon, Brad. How are you, legend, brother? Yes, we're very warmed up from chit-chatting off the mic. Um, and one of the things I, I called you was um, a favored recurring guest on the podcast. So I figured we would just uh, have, a, have a check-in, a checkpoint, uh, share some of the things with the listeners that are uh, probably of great value that we talk about uh, one-on-one. And one of them was uh, getting started with sort of a... Uh, a mutual coaching relationship where I realized like, what was this back in January, February? I'm like, man, you know what? I need a freaking life coach because I'm feeling like pulled out of my peak performance zone by a uh, constant hyperconnectivity, digital distractibility. I was deep into a book project and lamenting that I couldn't get shit done. And you gave me your, uh, a little dose of your uh, wonderful coaching approach, uh, told me not to be a fucking Muppet and just do it every day in the morning, first thing, and then send you an email with the subject line designated as, I fucking did it, mate. And it, it recalibrated my mindset because you asked me some challenging questions like, well, why can't you just take two hours at the start of the day to get the momentum going? And I'm like, uh, uh, because, uh, and so that's one uh, topic we can get started on. Then I want to check in with you about your uh, journey to uh, peak performance and these big competitive goals that you've had at Half Ironman. Excellent, mate. That'd be fantastic. Where do we start? Well, let's talk about, uh, you know, my my complaint that started out with, uh, you know, turning into um, some some great support from you and some recalibrating of my mindset. And uh, one thing that I, I sort of have a uh, uh, concern about for society in general is this hyperconnectivity and distractibility whereby we can go through an entire day being super ass busy and juggling numerous plates and staying connected and uh, not really accomplish anything of great note or at least not uh, as you know what we envision as priorities when we start the day and what are some strategies to kind of get focused in and prioritize and put some parameters and framework into daily life so that we can succeed and, and withstand the the evil forces of modern society right now mm. well well yeah i think um i've i think when we originally talked about being distracted and stuff like that i think one of the things i asked you is what's important to you you know you know what, what do you need to get done that's really important and one of the things you said was, I've got to get these books nailed. I've got to hit the publishing dates, right? And and then I think part of that discussion, and other pe- people can take this on, maybe people can take this on as their own coaching session and ask themselves some of these questions, right? So I think it was like, okay, so if you've got to get these books published and, and you've got to hit these deadlines, what's stopping you? What's stopping you from doing it? And then what do you actually have to do to make it happen? So instead of saying, well, you know, asking yes or no questions, like, and asking why questions. It was like, well, what, what's important? What do you have to do to make it happen? And then what do you have to change? And and I think you were coming back. Do you remember what you said? Was it like, well, 
I've got to get more organized. I've got to get my shit in, in, in order. You know, I've just got to start as soon as I get out of bed as a part of my routine. I think that's what you came back with, wasn't it? Right. Cause I'm so, uh, uh, excited and, uh, eagerly communicating the power and the, the benefits of my morning physical routine. So, you know, I got that stuff dialed, Andre. I have had it for 40 years. I've been an athlete. I was a professional for 10 years where it was everything. And I have no problem getting up and doing this uh, flexibility, mobility ritual. You can see it on YouTube, Brad Kern's morning routine, and then going downstairs and jumping into the chest freezer cold tub. I'm now up to six minutes uh, with my diaphragmatic breathing regimen, the water's 34 to 38 degrees, and I'm like impervious to the cold. I'm getting these hormonal benefits, and I'm becoming stronger mentally because I just do it every day. It's like repetition and endurance creating this habit, and I feel wonderful, and I can go tell people on podcasts and videos, Brad Kern's morning cold plunge, oh, isn't that awesome? And then I'm supposed to leverage this stuff into peak performance in front of my screen, and then I'm talking to you and, and being vulnerable and revealing, going, dude, I'm supposed to finish this freaking book. And instead, my email screen is open and I'm doing what I call uh, important things or busyness, but it's, it's drifting. And so the same guy that could jump in that cold water tub with no problem had a disconnect there where it's like, let's get that same shit done uh, in, in, the, uh, in the work environment. And that's where your, your great insight. And again, we're talking about our, our, our deal with each other here, but I want all the listeners to kind of reflect and project my story into your own life was I said, okay, well, you know, the first thing of the day before I get sidetracked, I'll kick in two hours to the book and then I'll take a breather. I'll send Andre an email that says I fucking did it, mate. Maybe I'll go consider uh, something to eat at that time, but nothing happens until I, I knock off the big fat red checkbox in the morning. Yeah, I remember. I remember that very clearly. I think. Um, <clears throat> I think you said, if I can, even though we're in a coaching relationship, you know, so things are confidential. I think you said something like, "I'm being a muppet, mate. What do I do, Doctor Dre?" And I'm like, "Dude, I, am I allowed to swear?" Oh yeah. I said, "Fuck, man, don't open your email, <laughs> right?" And, and you said, "What if I? My reward is I eat after I've done my work." And I'm like. Would you think that'll work? And you're like, of course it would. All right, great. And then the next day, I remember you sent me this email and it's like, dude, I effing did it. I did it. Now I'm going to eat. So you started to set up this new routine. If you do your morning routine, you come to computer and you have a conversation with yourself that says, you know, one part of your brain, the, the, the part that likes that high of seeing 50 emails come in and people telling you what, how, what a great guy you are and what a legend you are, you you have that conversation with the other side of your brain saying, okay, if I turn that email on, I'm not going to hit the goals I want, which is what I've agreed to myself to hold myself accountable and what I've told Andre or Dr. Dre I'm going to do. So I'm not going to turn it on. I'm actually going to open my document and write my book. And then at the end of that, I'm going to go and eat. And that worked, didn't it? It worked. And I also reflect like, you know, 20 years ago or whenever these things were a lot easier because we didn't have all this distractibility and potential for constant stimulation and dopamine hits that occur when we get a text message or an email. This is known brain science that we respond to uh, novel circumstances in our environment because that's our genetic hardwiring. It's a survival mechanism, right? And so today, uh, you know, in the, in the primal times, it was a rustling in the bushes completely uh, turned us away from whatever we we're focusing on. And we heard that rustling in the bushes and we responded. 
and that's a good thing. And today we're trying to focus and we get a text message or something that's going to give us a little jolt of juice of hormonal, hormonal burst and an instant payoff. But then we get unwound and we go into downward spiral tailspin. So, you know, bringing that discipline back where one of the things was I, I, I wanted to answer to you because you spent the time with me to, uh, to, to get this into place. And so, you know, listeners, you can answer to Brad and Andre right now by doing this stuff and, and send an email to the, uh, to, to the, um, the, the email address, info at primalendurance.fit, info <clears throat> at ketoreset.com, whatever, and say, hey, I, fr- I effing did it after listening to your show because uh, everyone's got stuff to shore up. We have damaged cellular material that we can recycle and repair through fasting, and then we have damaging lifestyle habits and behaviors that are out of alignment with uh, peak performance and even uh, happiness. Yeah, so Brad, what else, what, what's another thing you did? What's another thing you did from those conversations that user, uh, listeners could put into place? So you, you made that decision not to turn your email on. I, Im- I imagine you probably didn't go on social media as well. Did you actually have conversations with the bad side of your brain that was telling you you needed to do that? Or was that a what, – what process did you put in place? Did you have to think much about it or was it like, nah, fuck it, I'm just going to do this, it's not a problem? Like what was that like? Yeah, good question. I would say that it's an ongoing daily battle. Uh, I'm trying very hard to uh, stay focused on priorities. Um, Speaking of social media, I have no problem there because it's so overwhelming to me when I just engage with it for 30 seconds. So I'm a contributor to social media. I feel obligated to do that because I'm trying to build uh, my brand and my following and promote the things I'm doing and get you to listen to the the shows and consume the content I'm putting out. But I'm I'm a contributor and almost almost uh, entirely not consuming it because I can I'm getting more and more sensitivity to the negative effects of getting into this zone where you're just breezing through an Instagram feed or a Facebook page, and there's so much happening and it's so, uh, uh, you know, uh, diverse and intense. The experience is so intense that I actually feel exhausted after two minutes of scrolling through an Instagram. <clears throat> so I apologize to all my peeps if I didn't push the heart button and say that I liked your thing. Um, but boy, oh boy, I think as a society, we have to recognize this, that we're turning into, you know, short attention span creatures that are constantly engaged with uh, information and entertainment all day long. And we've lost the wonderful fine art of having a casual conversation at a slow moving pace uh, with a real live social person. We're, we're doing the next best thing. We're looking at each other on video, but you know, the value of just uh, kicking back for 30 minutes and, you know, talking about whatever uh, rather than, uh, you know, interrupting each other over and over because we're so used to just moving these conversations along so quickly, like they do on the ESPN Sports Show. I don't know if they do it down there for Aussie Rules, but like the basketball highlights are people talking over each other and throwing out crazy proclamations that the other person can respond to and get into a debate. And it's like, oh man, we got to take a deep breath and say, where is this headed? And I think it's headed for a crash course of, um, you know, uh, of a lot of bad stuff, especially with the younger generation that was raised on this, uh, starting from, you know, youth and <clears throat> is heading into the tunnel now. Well, I, I, <clears throat> oh, excuse me. I, I totally agree. So, 
Um, one of the things, I mean, yes, yeah, social media can be so overwhelming. You go on Facebook and you're just scrolling through and all of a sudden it's 15 minutes. And I, I reckon a lot of listeners, if they really critically think about why are they stressed, it could be that they get up in the morning, they take their phone to the toilet, which is the worst place to take it, and they're sitting there having dumping or doing whatever they do. And then, oh, shit, I'm late for work or I haven't had breakfast. Oh, because I've been on my phone for 20 minutes. Like people don't even realize it. Or whether you're sitting on the couch in the morning, oh, I'm just going to check in with my buddies. And 20 minutes later, oh, far out, man. I don't have time for for the beautiful food I've cooked, so I'm going to go and get some crap food on the way to work. Um, w- what I've done is I've actually taken Facebook off my phone. So a great mate of mine, <coughs> excuse me, I did a podcast for Effortless Swimming the other day and I brought this up about how athletes can execute their training more efficiently by being more organized and this was one of the topics we brought up is he's made a folder on his mobile device called Wasting My Life and all of his social media apps are in that folder. So sure, he has his email and calendar you know, on the phone but he has to deliberately press the folder called Wasting My Life to get to his social media. So I've, I've got LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram, but I've taken Facebook off because that's, for me, that's more of a problem. So that's the first thing people can do. The other thing is I actually now am scheduling time when I'm on the computer to be on Facebook. So what I try and do is I get up in the morning, do whatever I have to do, and for me, like it's in my Google calendar, 10 minutes in the morning, and 10 minutes at night because it's not on my phone. So I go in, I do what I have to do. I, I make comments on the things because I run my business and my business a lot is influenced by Facebook. And then I get off it and then I, I try as best I can not to go back on it during the day. And, and I have time allocated in my Google Calendar. So on one of my three screens, I have my Google Calendar as a schedule layout and that's telling me what I have to do for the day because I have everything in my calendar except for when I have to take a crap. I have when I'm eating in the calendar. So I'm not very spontaneous, but spontaneity doesn't really work for me apart from maybe on the weekends. But during the week when I'm working, <clears throat> everything's scheduled and on the schedule, it doesn't have spent an hour on Instagram or half an hour on Facebook. It has 10 minutes in the morning and 10 minutes at night. So m- maybe people can. I mean, how do you think, could you take some of that into your scheduling that you actually allocate a small slice of time to do the critical stuff only on social media? Right, right. I mean, can you take it and extend it into anything? And I think if we're, you know, this podcast is about uh, diet, fitness, exercise, you know, the primal living and hitting those points. And so if we want to kind of steer it over to, uh, dietary habits, exercise, movement patterns, things like that. I can see so many uh, applications here. One of them is like scheduling time for movement or for a workout. And one thing I've noticed recently, um, going over to the gym with my girl, my fiance, um, you know, she likes going to the gym. That's where she works out. She drives there and I'm like kind of the, the home-based fitness guy where I have my hex bar deadlift in the backyard. I take off running from the house and head over to the river trail. So I don't need a gym. I have everything I need outside the gym. My stretch cord workout at home is way tougher than even going through the machine circuit at the gym. But I realized going with her, well, first of all, we're doing something together. So 
It's a social aspect of it. And when I walk through the door in the gym, there's so much support and so much kind of implicit encouragement that you're going there for a purpose and you're going to get something done, done and you're not sidetracked. And so I'm in there, uh, her class goes for an hour. And so I'm spending an hour doing this and that in the gym. And I, it, re- it, it was a revelation to me to realize the importance of ritual, such as getting in your car and driving somewhere for the purpose of a workout, because I'm I'm so into convenience and all that, that I'm, I have all the workout stuff I need at my home, which is great. And it also could be sort of a, um, a check mark against me because if I'm staring, I'm right now staring at my pull-up bar and my stretch cords where I get a lot of my training done right here, one foot away from where I do podcasting. Uh, maybe there's some value in like creating systems and structure that get me out of, I guess we could call it a comfort zone and over into the gym environment same with uh, meeting somebody somewhere to go do a workout. Mm, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> everyone has a different ability or desire to work with structure, but and people have to balance what is good for them. And like some people would think I'm a freak that I have everything in my calendar from 6 a.m. till 9.30 at night. But for me, that works. So I guess people are going to ask themselves the question, are they hitting their goals and are they hitting their purpose? And if not, what can they change? What's stopping them or what's holding them back? You know, for some people, it might be money. For some people, it might be time. For some people, it might be knowledge. For some people, you know, it might be distraction. And distraction is that one where you have that conversation with your head, but then what tools can you use to help you not be distracted. And part of it is like you and I have this coaching relationship where we have accountability with someone else. And the aim of that is to help the person, the coachee build their own accountability, but also then what tools can be used. And is it a calendar? Is it an old fashioned paper diary? You know, everything, there's a spectrum of tools and a spectrum of accountability and a spectrum of scheduling and anal anal time management but you know as i say life is short so are we gonna in in fact i was having this is great i was having a conversation with a triathlon client of mine yesterday and he travels three hours a day to get to work he never sees the kids he's a top guy he'll probably listen to this right and i said They're tossing up the fact that if they shift home, it's going to cost more money to get closer to the city, you know, blah, blah. And I I got a calculator out because I'm not good with numbers. And I said, okay, three hours a day, 200 days a year, that's 600 hours or whatever hours a year. And we broke it all down. And I said, if you could save a third of that time, what would you do? You know, if you could save 200 hours, if you were living and you only had to travel an hour a day, you're going to save 400 hours a year. What are you going to do with that? And his eyes were like, oh, I could spend more time with the kids. Okay. So yeah, it might cost you more to have a house closer. You might have to rent for a couple of years, but you could die tomorrow in a car accident and you've never seen your kids. And he'd never done that whole thing about, yeah, well, I could save 400 hours so I could spend an extra 200 hours with the kids a year or I could and I could spend another 200 hours training a year because he's not training because he's so busy. So, you know, that sort of time, how much time have we got to do shit? How much time are we working? And I'd actually challenge people to say, how much time are you spending on social media and or watching the stupid TV and Netflix binging with Netflix a year or a week and look at the numbers because it's a lot of time. 
Same with uh, people that proclaim <clears throat> that they can't afford coaching, they can't afford this, they can't afford grass-fed steak. And I, I don't want to make light of it because everyone has affordability issues and there's a spectrum of income of people listening and people in the world who have health goals. Uh, but for probably 90% of the people who say they can't afford 90% of the things they can't afford, it's just reallocating assets away from shit that doesn't uh, benefit your life as much. Uh, and, and speaking of time, my goodness, like spending more time sleeping, this is now getting a hot popular theme being broadcast by Matthew Walker and others, you'll save time because you'll be more uh, cognitively higher performing at work. And there's studies about uh, sleep deprivation where um, your, your, your workplace performance is uh, diminished by 40%. So you get, you get the same done in six hours as you would in 10 hours if you've just gotten enough sleep. And I believe strongly in these kind of things because I'm, again, very sensitive to overstimulation, hyperconnectivity. And I'm also very sensitive <clears throat> to that moment in the afternoon when I start to go from level nine, where I'm cranking away, doing whatever, uh, working on a book or uh, something great, and then it starts drifting down to level seven, and I, I'm all of a sudden over on YouTube uh, watching this high school kid, Matthew Bowling, run the 100 meters and these incredible athletes, and then sending an email off to my group email list. I may not be on social media a lot, but I'm still engaging in different ways that could be considered a time waster or a lack of priority thing. And those things happen when I am uh, lacking uh, sufficient movement breaks, uh, lacking... Um, uh, uh, discipline because of uh, cognitive fatigue. And we, we can only focus for, uh, apparently, this is a study from Stanford University Research, we can focus intently for about 20 minutes. And then the brain will take a break on your ass, whether you like it or not. And mm. it's, 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 you know, observed by brain science that you need these ebbs and flows where you can stare off into space and look at the birds, look at a distant object, get away from the screen. Even if it's for a minute or two, every 20 minutes, you're going to come out uh, with a winning result rather than powering away uh, for hours and hours on end. And that's why, I don't know about in Australia, but, you know, the air traffic controller in the United States and the FAA regulation, as well as the uh, dealer of cards in the casinos, they work on a very distinct pattern of uh, frequent breaks, and they're pretty lengthy. So like the dealer goes 40 minutes on, 20 minutes off throughout the shift because they have to constantly focus on money and cards and not make a single mistake. And they can't breeze their way through uh, people betting hundreds of dollars on their blackjack hand. And same with the air traffic controllers. They're going on a similar pattern of intense work environment. No, no, no pee breaks, no sneezing breaks, no YouTube breaks. They're watching planes land in the air and telling who not to hit who. And then they go off into the break room and probably take a complete uh, break that's nourishing in one way or the other, just getting away from it all and then going back into the hot seat. So we should all, or we could all in some way adapt the, the spirit of the air traffic controller when we're uh, putting into play our own uh, work day or our own day of any kind, whatever we're doing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think your first point about sleep's critical. Like we've talked about this before. You know, I got some of those great um, blue blocking glasses that you suggested and you, you use. So they're great. So, and that's all about sleep. So I have a sleep routine. And I think the first thing with sleep is if people 
understand how important it is to our health and our hormones. That's critical. And the way to improve it is to actually firstly acknowledge the importance of it, but then have a sleep routine. So my sleep routine is because I'm an athlete and I want to improve my swimming. I know this is convention, not conventional stupidity, but I spend more time stretching and doing my thoracic mobility, which has absolutely improved my swimming times. Right. So for all of you guys and girls out there who are killing yourself at 5 a.m. every morning, six days a week at the pool, maybe you're carrying a bit of excess body weight, you know, and you're killing yourself and your heart rate's always at 160, 170 in the pool. Here's something. Firstly, eat low carb, eat paleo, eat keto, lose the body fat. Secondly, train less because you'll get faster. Do your drills, as Brad talks about swimming with the old people for a quite a while before he got faster. And then do this, work out what your flexibility and your um, movement patterns are like and fix those. So I went on a bit of a tangent there. but So I do this eight-minute stretching routine at night in the bedroom after my sauna. So I have, a, in, I have a sauna as well. I know you do, Brad. So I have a sauna probably four nights a week before bed. I stretch, shower, cold shower, and then I go to bed. And it's this routine, and it's in the calendar. Like it's in the calendar and it's in my training plan using this system I use and I have to tick it off and I say complete because in my coach, because everyone can use a coach, even though I'm a coach, I've got a coach and it's in the plan. So I'm accountable to myself. I'm accountable to my coach, but I'm accountable to my goals of getting faster at swimming, but also having a better sleep because sleep is so fundamentally important because then I can wake up in the morning and be more effective. And one of the, I'm a coaching a CEO for a startup in Atlanta at the moment, and he was working crazy hours, like working till midnight, getting up at 5 a.m. He's gone low carb, so he's lost a heap of weight, and he eats twice a day now. He walks. He, he goes to, he's just started going to the gym. But I said, what's the, what's one of the biggest thing? And he's like, man, Dr. Dre, he goes, he goes, I'm so efficient at work. Like the engineers can't believe how much I get through because that's a big technical, you know, organization, engineering organization. He's like, apart from losing the weight, I just feel great because I'm sleeping well. I've lost weight, but I'm so more mentally able to handle the workload. I'm not tired. I don't drop off. And he says that's the biggest thing. Wow, fantastic. Yeah, everybody's got... uh more potential, however you're, however well you're doing now, there's more there if you can identify some of the uh, the holes, the shortcomings, and take action. And sure enough, I, uh, I, I got through this book with Mark Sisson, and we, we made it on time, uh, but I feel like there was more pain and suffering than necessary because of this uh, penchant for distractibility. And I, I acknowledge, I admit that some of this is like, dread, right? Um, we, we, it's tough work and it's, it's high cognitive challenge. It's much easier to watch, uh, uh, people doing amazing things on YouTube. So there's that, which we can all accept that we're human and we, we aren't, you know, the robotic peak performer that maybe, um, we're, we're hearing about on, uh, social media, podcasts, audiobooks, people touting their very best day. And I, I want to go on tangent on that a little bit because, you know, you and I are talking about the, the, the attributes that we feel we've succeeded with. And I remember in the old days, um, the, the athletes were uh, featured uh, in Triathlete Magazine. You got a feature page uh, about your training, and it was a recurring 
profile where they'd pick a young pro athlete and uh, they'd ask them, you know, what's your week like? What kind of workouts do you do? And then it would be valuable for the reader to look and see how these different top athletes trained. And so what did they do on Monday and Tuesday? And it went down into the details of their weekly schedule. But after reading about 27 of these, that's two years and change when I'm a young guy in college dreaming of being a pro triathlete. And every month I get these guys and it'll say, you know, Monday morning, ride 80 miles in the mountains, PM, swim 4,000 meters. Uh, after that, an hour of yoga class. The next day, run 12 miles easy on the trails, uh, another 4,000-meter swim, and an easy two-hour bike ride in the afternoon. And you're going through this thing going, holy crap, these guys are like machines. I can't believe it. And then you come to this realization later after reading 27 of them. It's like, if someone's asking you about your training week, a magazine story that's going to be published and distributed to athletes all over the world, what are you going to tell them? A crappy week? an average week or your greatest week ever where everything was dialed in. And of course, they're talking about their ideal week, but it's not reality. Just like the Instagram influencer person who's traveling around the world, taking their uh, glory shots on the beach and in luxury hotels and all that, that's their brand and that's their job is to create inspiration and whatever, jealousy, envy, uh, uh, product associations, marketing manipulation. Uh, but, you know, we have to take a deep breath and recognize that too, that whatever I'm saying to you listeners and whatever Andre's saying, we're talking about our best attributes coming coming to fruition. Um, we can also talk about our struggles and places where we screwed up. And after I sent you quite a few of those emails that said, I effing did it, mate, in the morning with my two-hour binge, somehow, some way, on a certain day, I started taking baby steps away from that commitment. And it might have been, oh, this morning I got to go out and run out to an appointment. So I'm just going to do my, my chest freezer and uh, get my workout in now. And then I'll go straight to the, the 10.30 a.m. And oh, on the way home, I should stop and get some uh, groceries. And then your day is not exactly as planned. And of course, that's going to happen. But it's like, how do we continually recalibrate and reprioritize? And so your answer of like a tight schedule on the calendar uh, is a great suggestion and if it doesn't work for everyone, um, we all have to find something that that does work and an inch toward maybe a more disciplined life against all the noise. Yeah, there's one. Yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> so when you found that you were, as you said, it worked for a couple of weeks, and then you found that maybe a couple of days you didn't hit what you wanted to do. How did you recognize that? Did you know that was happening when it was happening, and how did you feel about that? Uh, I think you have to honor the spirit of the uh, of the story, right, listener? You you got your own issues to deal with. Maybe you're in an entirely different job that you know doesn't require any discipline to change from one thing to the other. You're you're a clerk at a counter, and so you're ringing up uh, sales all day. There's no there's no two if ands or buts about it. You're serving Starbucks all day. So whatever it is that's going on. I think we have to honor the spirit of, you know, doing things that make us feel good, avoiding things that make us feel tired or drained or negative and apply that, uh, apply that principle to whatever we face during the day, especially when, um, stuff's going down that ain't good. I mean, I've had an entrepreneurial career and an athletic career that's lasted for decades now. And a lot of times I was out there competing on the pro circuit and 
thinking I was doing everything right, really positive, really disciplined, really focused, motivated, making good decisions, and going uh, across the world on an airplane to go get my ass kicked in Australia and coming back in the in the luggage section in a body bag instead of in a business or first class bump up from winning the, the great championship. And at those times, you know, you have to kind of recalibrate and stay focused on your greater principles of taking care of your body, whatever, change the logistics. Mark Sisson calls it pivot. So whatever worked for you from 2016 to 2018, and your company's doing great, and you went to the Gold Club Vacation Award and got a bonus, and now uh, shit's falling apart, you can, you can you know, take those same attributes that work for you but they're going to look differently. They're going to look different on paper and in practical application. Oh, absolutely. Like <clears throat> pivoting, I mean, I had a pivot that came to me without any, and the, some of the listeners should go back and listen to maybe the first or the second podcast we did, you know, big corporate job, thinking I was like rocking horse shit, you know, like fancy shoes, fancy suit, chairman's lounge flying everywhere. And then all of a sudden that all just stopped for health reasons and, uh, you know, now I coach people and it's like I'm earning a quarter of what I was earning. And, um, you know, it's a big pivot that I really had no no choice over. I was going to ask you about Popcorn Boy. Uh, yeah. So, again, uh, talking offline and applying these insights to other areas. So I talked about, you know, getting refocused on the book project by turning off the email and setting myself up to succeed in that way. Because uh, if the temptation is there and the environment is uh, uh, nurturing to you going off track, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna fail, right? And I think um, uh, part of this stuff is in the new book, Keto Longevity, but there's a great uh, insight pulled from the Framingham study, a study of the Framingham study. And um, they discovered this uh, concept of, uh, social clusters being contagious. So social cluster is the people you hang out with the most. Uh, they, the, another study calls it your reference group. And that is uh, the five people that you spend the most time with, or perhaps the 10 people that you spend the most time with, you become sort of an aggregate of what they're all about. These influences are extremely powerful to you know how our life turns out. That's why parents need to stress over the peers that their kids are hanging out with and hoping you're hanging out with some some cool dudes or well-adjusted gals because um, they can take you down if you're in an mm. uh, uh, unsupportive uh, reference group. So these social clusters or these reference groups are contagious to three degrees. So they found with the Framingham study, that's one of the biggest uh, longitudinal epidemiological studies of uh, a society, the citizens of Framingham, Massachusetts, since 1948 have been studied for all manner of lifestyle behaviors, including diet and all this research has come out of it. Uh, but they discovered that obesity was contagious to three degrees. So if you're obese, you are going to influence your friends around you and your friends' friends to three degrees. Same with happiness. Uh, uh, slender slimness, you know, uh, physical physical fitness is contagious to three degrees. Uh, positive energy and positive attitude contagious to three degrees. So when you hang around a friend and the last uh, seven times you've caught up for coffee or caught up on the phone, maybe it's an old friend from old times or whatever, and you uh, can sit back and reflection and go, dang, this person has been negative and dispensed negative energy or venting and complaining upon me for the majority of the last seven times we've hung out together. Uh, this is an insight that might warrant 
uh, recalibrating or, or, or making a, a positive change where you try to influence the relationship, have a talk about it, say, hey, man, you seem stuck in a negative spot. How can I help? You know, call out these things and try to nurture the best social group uh, that you can. Uh, but you were asking me about popcorn boys. So taking a step back a little bit was, you know, this lack of discipline and structure for my writing objectives, my career objectives um, can also play out into anything else you're doing. And one of the areas I realized it played out was diet, man. Cause I, like I've told podcast listeners, um, you know, I went strict keto. We were working on the previous book, keto reset diet. It was really interesting a great experience to go for about four months straight where I was measuring my blood every day and, you know, recording things. So I'd have good knowledge to dispense in the book with Mark. And then after that, I kind of spun out of that and went into a different experimental mode inspired by Nourish, Balance, Thrive, Tommy Wood, Chris Kelly, the consultations they were doing with me that I've talked about on this channel as well. And that essence was, hey, eat more nutritious food to fuel your workout performance goals because you're an old guy trying to perform these amazing feats. And sometimes if you're in a caloric efficiency state, it might affect your performance and recovery. So I started slamming more food, feeling better, doing more workouts, recovering faster. Everything was great. And then what, two years later, uh, I woke up one day and realized, dang, my uh, undisciplined, uh, uh, unregulated consumption of fun things like evening popcorn binges when I'm around family and having a celebration time, uh, enjoying my dark chocolate with great... Uh, great abandon and not a lot of regulation, uh, I realized I've become Fat Muppet Boy. And I uh, I weighed myself, I probably weighed myself a couple times a year over the last 20 years. And it's never been, uh, an is- never been a big issue for me, right? I'm an ex-athlete who keeps in shape. I'm not really, I have a lot of issues in my life. <laughs> but one of them was like, you know, my body composition and all that's always been fine. But here I was like weighing the most I'd ever seen myself. So I took a picture and I'm like, man, I look like Fat Muppet Boy. I weigh 172. I've weighed 165 for about 25 years. And I said, you know what? I got to make some changes here Uh, because the lack of discipline and lack of structure, except for I was always eating healthy foods, right? I wasn't the Ben and Jerry's guy that was slamming uh, nonsense, toxic shit into my body. But the, the healthy foods that I was allowed to eat were just in an unregulated manner. So the first thing I put into place was um, just a fasting until 12 noon uh, rule. Not because I thought it was the best dietary strategy for me. Maybe it was going to adversely affect my performance and recovery from workouts. Who knows? But the reason I did it was just to bring more structure and discipline into my life as sort of a challenge to see if I could do it. And there's a lot of good things that come to that. I was doing that for years prior to, you know, especially during the keto phase, I was always fasted until at least 12 and so to come back to uh, a, a rule following and a more structured dietary pattern, I thought was a growth experience for me just because, just the inherent value of saying, oh, you know, I, I don't even start thinking about caloric intake until 12 noon. Um, now, one uh, kind of weird thing or potentially negative thing that happened was about 11.30 every day, I started to get hungry, man. I started thinking about the clock. So if you have a history of like disordered eating or, or emotional issues related to eating, some of this stuff might be playing with fire. So, uh, you know, take what I'm saying with a grain of salt. But for me, what it did was to put greater appreciation for the meals that I did eat starting at 12 noon. Most of the time I'd eat something at 12 noon. So greater appreciation for that 
and also a greater sense of accomplishment that now I'm loading up on one side of the balance scale, uh, my morning flexibility mobility routine that I haven't missed in uh, two or three years, my morning cold plunge that I never miss when I'm home, obviously missing when I'm away. And now uh, number three on the list was no eating until 12 noon. So what am I doing if I'm not busy making a fabulous omelet or a big smoothie? Uh, I'm flipping open my computer and I'm, I'm getting to work and I'm not worried about that until later in the day. So that's kind of uh, the starting mm. point of we can talk uh, a little more about diet and um, you know success formulas because we're uh, trying to hit all these notes on this on this show and how it all flows together, especially. But yeah, it's interesting how like that photo you sent me is fantastic. You look so ripped, mate. I, I need to do a bit more work to get some a bit of better abs like you've got. But I think. That, the whole message there is you realize something wasn't going the way you wanted to and you thought, well, what do I need to change? And you had a conversation with yourself and you used a bit of structure to make that work for you. And I think that's fantastic. And I think, <clears throat> excuse me, um, you know, one of the things people need to think about is, you know, um, if they're training a lot, maybe that approach may not work for them. You know, if they've had adrenal stress or adrenal fatigue, it may not work for them. And you've done all of the different models of fasting, fasting mimicking, paleo, low-carb, blah, blah, blah. You know, carnivores, one of the things you're doing now, I know. But I think each person, you know, has to ask themselves and some questions. So for me, it's like, am I having a good shit every day? Am I sleeping well? Am I lean? Am I craving things? And when I eat my food, am I enjoying savoring it? And am I, am I in a parasympathetic, relaxed state when I'm eating? And, you know, you know, like I train 16 to 18 hours a week. So for me, I generally eat twice a day, but they're quite large meals. But if I've got some solid sessions on where I might be doing a three or four hour session in one day, I will have a feed. I'll eat three times and I will eat after training. So I tried to do that. Oh, I'm just going to do this you know, low carb keto thing and I'm going to eat twice a day and I'm going to do all this fasted training. But I wasn't executing the sessions as well as I could have and I was not sleeping as well. And a few things changed for me. So it's that reflective process of <clears throat> this is what Brad's doing. This is what Dr. Dre's doing, this is what Mark Sisson's doing, this is what whoever else is doing. Is that working for me and what's good for me and what are my goals? Is it about having abs as a 50-year-old, 54-year-old man or is it about not being constipated? Is it about being more efficient at work? Is it about being calmer? You know, I'd suggest people write all the things they want and what are they missing and what can they say no to that's going to get them one of those things? You know, make a list like... By saying yes to Ben and Jerry's ice cream, I'm saying no to better abs. Oh, dude. Or it might be, or That's it might brutal. Be, yeah, or I might yeah. be saying, by saying yes to Ben and Jerry's ice cream, I'm going to have diarrhea because we all know for most people, dairy causes or helps, especially with gluten, uh, you know, irritable bowel and leaky gut issues, right? So if people are having diarrhea and they're having dairy, maybe that's probably one of the reasons, right? So there's this tool you use called, if you say yes to this, what are you saying no to? And you can do the other thing by saying no to this, what are you saying yes to? So so by saying no to going on social media in the morning when I get out of bed after I've done my morning routine, 
Brad is able to execute and he's saying yes to publishing his book on time. I mean, now that you put it that way, right, the the, the allure of the the Ben and Jerry's is is diminished significantly. And I think that the way that these uh, unhealthy habits stick around is we tell ourselves a story, a, a lie possibly, that this is part of enjoying life and hey, man, everything in moderation, or oh, it's my daughter's birthday party, so I might as well have a cheesecake. And that's that's all okay and not to be judged, but I think generally we have to get more clarity with the consequences of our decisions, especially living in misalignment with our stated goals and values and dreams. So if you want to be uh, a, a glutton with a life of decadence, luxury, and uh, you know, minimal concern for your your health, and you're totally in alignment with that statement and that belief, then you go off and have a good life. I don't want to pay for your insurance policy with an increase in my rate, but unfortunately, I am. So I, I will criticize you a little bit. But generally speaking, as long as we're in alignment and making those yes no choices, that's that's beautiful. I love that because they're, you know, um, it's it's not that big a deal to have um, to, to 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 sacrifice. What what we call a sacrifice is really uh, the opposite of a sacrifice. You know, you're 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 sacrificing your health when you have a pizza. So if you sacrifice pizza, you're always gaining something. I got that from Andrew McNaughton, but it's exactly what uh, what you're talking about here too. It's not looking at it as a sacrifice, uh, and you know, refuting yeah. that statement if your if your reference group, your your circle of friends is saying, oh, what's you know, why aren't you having a piece of cake and uh, we get brought down back into the bucket with the crabs. Yeah. You, you get brought down back to the Muppet Show. So people have to make a decision. <laughs> Do you want to be the first the appearance bucket? of the Muppet came at yeah. forty six minutes into the show? Da, 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 da. We get a free yeah. prize for the. You guessed forty six minutes. You were right. And here comes the Muppet Show with Dr. Dre. So if you want to be a Muppet. Go and hang around with Muppets and listen to the sayings of "Oh, everything in moderation." Oh, it's okay. You know, you're getting old. It's normal to have a fat tummy and man boobs as you get old. It's total bullshit. It's the choices you make. So you want to turn out like Kermit the Frog or whoever the other ones are because I don't watch the Muppet Show. Hang around with those people in those social clusters and be like them or grow some balls and make a decision that life's too short to be sick and be normal, you want to be optimal, so don't hang around with the fucking Muppets. Go and hang around with people that are aligned with where you want to be because you'll get there easier because you're having more social interactions with them and you'll be more stronger. And you'll realize that the Muppets aren't normal. The Muppets are normal, but you don't want to be normal. Yeah, and especially when you're choosing people to hang out with, um, beware of the negative effects of confirmation bias and the negative effects of people that aren't really stretching you. And so I seek out and greatly appreciate people in my life that are quite a bit different from me. Uh, your scheduling uh, obsession with your calendar, I think you sent me a screenshot one time, um, that's not quite aligned with my freewheeling personality, but I appreciate the crap out of that strategy because I can reflect on that and go, Ah, I may never be that guy because I didn't put 20 years in at Cisco getting my brain programmed into that mode. Um, but you know what? There's tremendous value in something that's far removed from my basic nature. Same with 
uh, I'm a, uh, a, a positive, agreeable guy who's a conflict avoider and uh, likes to, uh, you know, I, I don't want people uh, pissed off at me. I like, I like to be well-liked and all these things. And I have a certain uh, assortment of friends in my life who are contrarians, uh, maybe the glass half empty type of uh, uh, mindset in, in many ways. And so um, when I engage with them, I appreciate the opportunity to, uh, to have a personal growth experience because they're coming off way differently than, than I might seem. And oh my gosh, I mean, these are some of the most valuable interactions I've had in my life of people calling me on my own shit. Uh, and saying something like, you know, you're you're so freaking positive that you uh, fail to uh, recognize and face, uh, you know, directly face uh, negative things in your life. And so, you know, taking taking some heat, taking a poke in the ribs for being too positive. Mm-hmm. Usually, people give me kudos and accolades. You're so positive, and um, it, it, you know, it's a, it's a great insight to uh, associate with people that see things differently than you and can give you. Uh, honest, direct feedback, even though it might not be my comfort zone. Uh, fantastic. Yeah, I think taking things from the people that, like you said, you can't take everything away from it, but what can you learn from, you know, the fact that I'm anal about schedule? Well, okay, you can pick some things out of that will help you just like other people will, and I'll pick things like, you know, I, I don't like to eat liver, but I know from you that it's very important, so I take liver capsules all from New Zealand, all organic, blah, blah, grass-fed. So I do that every day, right? Because that's one of the things you talk about a lot and I see you doing that. So I have that, but I don't eat the raw liver because I just can't come at that, right? So that's another example. Well, we've given people a ton of things to think about here. Uh, They all apply to uh, diet, health, fitness, peak performance goals. But I really like how... If we can focus on these matters of general routine lifestyle patterns first before we get into the specifics, and uh, here's looking at you, the wonderful writers of email questions into the show, and so many of them uh, from thoughtful, intelligent people are getting into the extreme details and the splitting of the hairs on the timing of the macronutrients uh, vis-a-vis the, the start of the workout or the end of the workout, and you know, it's a fair question, and I appreciate the, uh, you know, the enthusiasm of trying to get it right and to learn and understand everything, but I think we'd all be best served, and I was best served as an athlete when I was focused on that big picture and, uh, you know, determining my level of happiness and allocating that as a, as a variable in my training decisions and things like that, rather than just being in the, uh, the, the robot mode and thinking that we're, we're not dynamic human beings that have... Uh, uh, wants, needs, you know, all, all those things that we kind of suppress sometimes when we're driven like, uh, like, like modern society, the rat race driving us to just squeeze all the performance out of us. Mm. And, and I'd say, you know, sure, you can count every single calorie and every single macro, but what are you doing with your sleep? Like <laughs> people place so much importance on their nutrition to that anal perspective like I just intuitively know what to eat. I'm lucky. I'm blessed like you probably do, right? But are they putting that attention to their sleeping or their relationships or hydration, drinking enough water, or have they got enough melatonin or testosterone, you know? Yeah. Uh, speaking of that too, and just for the, for the diet example alone, um, we, we talked about this one end of the spectrum and that is the, um, 
you know, kind of the, um, uh, drawing some boundaries and having some guidelines rather than just being fat popcorn Muppet boy. But then on the other end, we have this, uh, uh, prevalent condition of orthorexia, right? Which is a, a defined as an unnatural fixation uh, on the correct and the, uh, the, the, the maximum effectiveness of your diet in this case. So if you envision this, this spectrum where the orthorexics are on one side and they're getting a more stressful, uh, less happy life due to that extreme obsession with doing everything perfectly. And then we have the fat Muppet popcorn boys on the other side who have insufficient uh, structure and guidelines. That's where we have to find that balance point and that graceful uh, place where you can exist with, um, you know, you're able to celebrate, you're able to indulge, you get up the next day and uh, go get back on the horse. If you had a little departure, you don't feel bad about yourself. You don't feel negative or discouraged. Um, all those things are important to learn from experience. And I don't think there's any simple answer, but whew, there's a lot of people that would benefit greatly from drifting back uh, from the extreme edge of orthorexic or what have you. And there's maybe even more people uh, that would benefit greatly from tightening shit up a little bit and uh, living in alignment with your stated goals and uh, priorities. Yeah, I totally agree. I think people can get a bit too anal about everything and and um, um, go off track and that causes more stress, you know. I think the whole thing is eat real food, get a vanity mirror, look in the mirror naked or with your jocks on or your G-string or whatever you wear, you know, and have a look in the mirror. And if there's flab, best way to fix it, reduce stress, sleep more, eat better food, don't eat as much and have that, you know – um, have that reduced eating window and just, you know, that's a start. You know, if you go from eating shit and eating snacks to just eating real food and eating three times a day only and then to two times a day without weighing and fucking measuring and everything, as long as it's real food, you're going to lose weight. Would you agree, Brad? Uh, sure. And if you don't, then we can take it to the next level, right? Take the exactly. commitment to the yeah. next level. I got to yeah. admit, like, um, again, I haven't dealt with this issue hardly ever in my life. I remember having one running injury in college and putting on like 15 pounds in a semester of drinking a lot of uh, uh, pizza and beer and, and wine coolers was my, my main go-to because I didn't like the taste of alcohol. And then I you know, ran hard for about a month and it all went away. And so that seems simple to me. And now here in my 50s, this was really the first time where I'm like, oh, oh crap, I got I to gotta make some effort here. And it was harder than I thought. So I have um, greater empathy and appreciation for the battle of doing things right, uh, trying to drop excess body fat, and it doesn't happen on your exact time schedule. So I think being patient and staying committed to the plan, and then when in doubt and when in plateau, uh, go throw down some sprints because that's you know sending a powerful genetic message uh, to the body and uh, to uh, optimize your your hormones to drop body fat and, and gain or maintain, maintain lean muscle mass. So yeah, keep working at it and enjoying the journey is kind of my insight right now. But up, 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 up. So Dr. Dre, thanks, man. It's great to catch up with you. Want to give a plug for, um, your, we, we were going to talk about your, uh, race goals and how that's all going. Cause I know you're pretty serious, even though you're working and helping other people, uh, you're pursuing those competitive goals yourself. 
Um, yeah, I did cans, um, half Ironman. I underfueled. So here's a lesson. You know, everyone can learn everything, even a coach can. I didn't eat enough. I wasn't hungry. I didn't fuel enough on the bike. So uh, that screwed up for me. But I got another race in 12 weeks, and I will take those lessons into it and not beat myself up and eat a bit more. So there you go. Some, and you know, low carb keto high-performance-ish person saying they need to eat more instead of go more fasting. So I've got to eat more during the race, and I'm I'm actually going to look at calories and what I've been eating to see because I reckon I was quite under-fueled. But I wasn't hungry. So right. I was, you know, so I need to sort that out for myself. But I've lowered my bars on my bike. I had another bike fit, so I've gone down sort of like an inch and a half on the front aero bars thanks to your kind feedback as well, which is uh, excellent. Uh, my unkind feedback, like what's that parachute guy, right? Parachute Muppet guy on his bike when it's supposed to be aero position, but uh, yeah, you got to make sure your back can take it, but the lower the better. But interesting with that underfueling, uh, I know this came up uh, with a lot of athletes I coached over the years, and I think one of the uh, reasons is you're used to these training sessions where you go out there and ride your bike for four hours hard and then you get home and eat. So you don't realize that you created a caloric deficit because you're not slamming on the shoes and running 13 miles hard in a race situation. And I know that happened to me too, where I was like, wow, I thought I was all planned and strategic and know how much fuel to take in, but you kind of have to, uh, you kind of have to problem solve in advance knowing that you're going to be out there uh, draining energy on the run and you can't consume a lot of calories on the run because of the pounding, right? Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think it was a combination of the heat. I forgot to take one of the things. I take a uh, super starch product just for racing and I forgot to take that with me. Um, I didn't take my salt tablets as well, but I don't think that was the thing. I think it was I had food on the bike, but I didn't eat it. I just drank and had um, – electrolytes i didn't eat the food i had on the bike because i wasn't hungry and i thought oh no i'm okay it was like stupid i had a plan and i didn't stick to it and that impacted so i got to learn from that and uh, do a better job on my next race well i'll say from dating back uh let's see about 33 years since i first started coaching people to go to ironman distance that the ratio of people who were under fueled and bonked and ruined their race uh, versus the people who ate too much food and had stomach distress and, and ruined their race. It's like 97% underfueled and about 3% of the people screw it up by uh, getting a, a heavy stomach and having to work through that because they ate too many energy bars on the bike. But uh, you could probably err on the side of excess caloric intake and yep. do okay. Uh, you know, because w- once, once your tank's empty, uh, watch out, your, your day's ruined, you know? Yeah, I, I, yeah, it's interesting. I, I, I didn't, I didn't bonk because I was still running at four forty pace for the first eight k's in the run, and I finished tenth in the run out of ninety. I, I just think the heat, it was hot. I come from cold. It was very, you know, sweating a lot. I think just a couple of things like that, and it's just something you got to learn and do a better job next time. You know, every, it's a, it's a privilege to be able to race. It's a privilege to take a lesson away. And you know, my number one goal was go to the race uninjured. And finished the race uninjured. And on Monday morning, I walked around and I felt like I hadn't even, I felt like I hadn't done a half iron, man. It was like I was totally fine. And that, to me, they're the most important things that our us as older men who are aging gracefully need to remember that, you know, we don't want to be limping the next day. We want to finish as though, oh, oh yeah, I did a, a training session yesterday, but it was a race, you know. 
Oh, that's kind of like the, um, uh, the, 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 the goal of uh, climbing Mount Everest is often misstated. And the people, uh, you think the, the mountain climber's dream is to climb the tallest mountain in the world, but really the goal should actually be to climb Mount Everest and make it back to base camp. So, because we don't care if you climbed it, if you can't get back. And so doing the whole thing correctly, rather than just obsessing with the result. Yeah. All right, man. Good luck. We'll, we'll check up with you in the future. Always great to hit the really important topics. Going deep with Andre Obradovich from Australia. Find him at uh, Facebook social media as your game. You can go play around there. What's the address? Uh, which one? Like your Facebook oh. page, wherever you want to take people. Uh, Andrea Bredovic on Instagram is probably the best one. And then just andreabredovic.com is the website. Got it. Go to it, people. Thank you. So Chris Kelly, Nourish, Balance, Thrive, we're, we're talking about health and you're telling me a funny story about your picky four-year-old daughter that won't eat unless there's Primal Kitchen uh, condiments on the table. It's true. My daughter will not eat unless there's f***ing the primal kitchen wilder. <laughs> it's, it's this cute thing, actually, she does. We have a local state park called Wilder Ranch. Oh, yeah. And uh, she calls the ranch dressing Wilder Ranch dressing. Which <laughs> we, 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 there's no way we're going to correct her on that. It's just too <laughs> so so endearing. Uh, how old um, is she? She's four. Oh my gosh. So she likes like the mayo on a Oh yeah, she so she loves those sort of, we love them as well. We have uh we, we eat them all the time. We eat the mayo, we eat the balsamic, we eat the the ranch, um the avocado oil we use all the time. And, and so, you know, that's completely genuine and I don't mind talking about that because you took the pain in the ass out of condiments. I really appreciate that. What an authentic spot from Chris Kelly at Nourish, Balance, Thrive. And yes, Primal Kitchen, you can call it Wilder Ranch Dressing if you want. <laughs> and uh, we'll send five cents of the proceeds over to that beautiful state park because they're, they're trying to make ends meet in Santa Cruz Mountains. Thank you very much, Chris. <laughs> it's my pleasure.